Well, here we are at the end of the book of Hebrews. Um, once again, this is footnotes. And as always, Pastor Tony's here. It's good to see you, Tony. Hey, Adam. So let's say you get to eternity mm-hmm. someday. In your list of questions for the Lord, what number is who wrote the book of Hebrews? What, what is that like in the top 20, top mm. 100? Yeah, I would think so. It's such a perplexing puzzle. Um, I often I often default to Paul when I'm talking. Like Paul wrote in the Book of Hebrews, and I realize, oh, it's just by habit, right? Yeah, in the New Testament. Sure, you got to be like the writer of Hebrews said this, but maybe we'll just know. We'll just be there and be like, oh yeah, it was Apollos, of course. I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah. So this past Sunday, you finished Hebrews. We've been going through it for almost a year, taking our time through the text. Um, this past week, you you finished out the book, chapter 13, verses 17 through 25. Uh, it's kind of an interesting passage to preach on all at once because you, you kind of moves through different things. Um, what are your opening thoughts for to, for us today? Yeah, it feels like a letter. So mm. you're preaching somebody else's mail. Of course, I dealt with this uh, on Sunday where, yes, there's the original context, the historical context of the first century world. The author of Hebrews is writing to a real uh, audience, to a mm-hmm. congregation, I think, a church. And yet there's the ongoing uh, effect of that on our lives based upon the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Scripture and the 20 centuries that we're removed from it still, it gives us that impact. But there are those moments when you're like, wow, okay, this is a letter. This is Mm -hmm. written to somebody else. And it has the components of a letter where he's given a travel log and, hey, I'm going to come visit you. And I'm going to, Timothy just got sprung out of jail. (laughs) So we're going to take him with me. And uh, so there's maybe a little bit of an anticlimax at that point. But Mm. uh, one of the commentaries I read this last week was talking about just how human and how personal that Mm. is and how there's something endearing about it. You're kind of uh, climaxing at the end with this great doxological, you know, uh, benediction, and you're you're riding the waves of that Mm -hmm. to uh, a really fascinating clothes, and then it's like, oh, and by the way, I might come visit you, and I'm bringing Timothy. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and yeah, and teaching on it is it's kind of like, like you said, you have this powerful high and then little house cleaning stuff, but <laughs> can't fault him for needing to put those things in there. I mean, he needed to let them know. Um, There's still some some preachiness in it as well. There's, yeah. uh, I mean, there, it's not all just pleasantries. He's talking about what must have been some kind of leadership issue that they were having, that people needed mm-hmm. to be exhorted. And it, it could have just been a general ex- exhortation. Submit to your leaders. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. obey your mom and dad or whatever. But uh, probably just knowing the intent of this author and what he's addressed, there, there must have been some kind of leadership issue going on there and some defiance or divisiveness within the church body that mm-hmm. he's like... Oh, and as I'm closing out this letter, let me give you a little slap on the hand and mm-hmm. make sure you are submitting to your your God-appointed leaders. Yeah. So I have a question. We're recording this a little later than normal, so I actually got to talk about this in my small group. And someone brought up an interesting question about submission, and they kind of projected a few scenarios where they were sincerely wondering, how do you submit? And the first one was, how does it look to submit 
if you happen to go to a very large church and, you know, you don't, you know, might not know the pastor very well, what does submission look like? And then they brought up in scenarios where, you know, there is problem with the leadership, elders or so forth. And as we hear about time to time, what does submission look like in those environments? Yeah, let me take those one at a time. So submission, and you mentioned pastor, I know what you mean by that, the elders, the Mm -hmm. plurality of leaders that have been appointed over the church. And it's... It, it it there is a narrowness to it, meaning like I'm I'm not going to go up to a single person in our church and say, I'm an elder here. You need to marry so and so. You know, like, yeah. that's a violation of what is my rightful authority mm-hmm. over the church. But as elders, we're uh, commanded to teach and instruct the people, and to the extent that we do teach God's word, you need to submit and put yourself underneath the authority of the taught word and the the elders that lead. Uh, you know, it's not just that, though, because elders are making decisions about uh, the course of the church, the the hiring decisions, they're making financial decisions, mm. which I think from time to time people will say, I wouldn't have done that if I was the elder. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a wife would probably say, not your wife, of course, Adam, but <laughs> would say, I wouldn't have done what you're doing, but, uh, you know, you're the person that God has appointed to lead, and so mm-hmm. I'm going to trust you and... And if you make a mistake, the Lord will sort it out. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. And and even in a big church, I mean, I've seen lots of different structures for churches and how elders operate. And I've seen large churches with a small elder board. I've seen large churches with, you know, dozens and dozens of elders. And um, they're, you know, wh- however the structure is, you should think about this too when you commit to a church. Like, mm-hmm. who are the leaders of this church, and can I voluntarily submit myself to those who are, do they have the kind of character and track record and commitment to God's word that I can sit underneath their authority? Um, however, that's structured in the church, you do have an, an obligation to to submit. And um, yeah, I, it's you're submitting. I think I said this last Sunday also to an office, not to a person. So. You know, I'm I'm an elder here along with other elders, but there might come a time in my life when I retire and I'm not an elder anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, more uh, a commitment to the office and to the way in which God has structured the church with, with elders leading the church body. Mm-hmm. Now, to get to your second question, um, yeah, elders make mistakes. Elders sometimes make big mistakes, and we have what's sad in our own day is we have these highly publicized, huge issues Mm. that have taken place with pastors that went, you know, off the reservation. You have elders who have uh, destroyed churches. And it's easy to take maybe a sampling of that and say, this elder thing doesn't work. Mm. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about marriage, you know, because we have divorce rates here, even among Christians. And we say, well, this this marriage thing isn't working. We need to try Mm. something else. No, the goal isn't to look at the things that aren't working and say the whole institution is wrong. It's to mm-hmm. take that institution that God has created and get back to the way in which it was established. And, uh, um, you know, it, I can imagine there's probably some people listening to this right now who have been through a church blow up or a church split or a church, a situation where a church had an elder or a pastor mm-hmm. that went um, rogue or whatever. And, and that's a hard thing to establish that trust. Again, I would say, okay, we're not 
we're not um, you know submitting to what we see as uh, maybe the examples of of good church around us, we're submitting to what the scriptures say in terms of the way in which a church should function. So let's let's get back to the scriptures. Let's, if we're elders like myself, let's be faithful to what we're called to do and do it rightly, and then the church body will follow. And that's when churches is sweet and uh, healthy and good, and and that's what we should be striving for. Mm-hmm. How'd you answer that in your small group, Adam? Uh, everyone kind of, well, different people shared some helpful insight. I remember thinking, you know, the the requirements of submitting to, you know, if you go to a big church and there's, you know, a person on the stage, your obligation of submission is probably not that high. It's just go there, listen, which might be a little more impersonal. But, like, the more you build a relationship in the body of Christ with people, there's a greater... I don't know, demand for submission, like maybe in a smaller group or a smaller church, like submission seems to be more important or not, maybe not more important, but more, more evident when there's relationships. And so I, I wasn't saying big churches are bad, but I'm saying it's so easy to pop in and pop out. And it's like, are you a part of a fellowship? Are you um, in a, in a, in a situation where there can be accountability and even discipline? And I told a story about someone I had heard about a husband, not me, who squandered some money on like an expensive piece of clothing instead of with his looking after his family. So the pastor rebuked him and said, get rid of that and look after your family. Like you can't do that in a big church. So, and again, not bashing big churches, but I think the more you have people speaking into your life, the more there can be that accountability. And then that's when it becomes necessary but difficult, you know, like getting rebuked properly, that's not comfortable, but that is a part of being in the body of Christ. And small groups play a role in that, and even in bigger churches, if they have uh, care leaders and other people can play that role as a part of the eldership. So, um so, yeah, and, and I also noted how, you know, elders keep watch over our souls. So the people who are playing that role in our lives, we recognize their humility, their dedication, and so submission doesn't become like this huge burden. Mm-hmm. Like the story I just mentioned, that man would have been able to gladly submit because the pastor was looking after this family. He wasn't doing it for no reason, but he was cared about the well-being for the family and he did something very difficult for their benefit. So when thing, when everything is kind of functioning as it should, even in our own imperfections, you know, there's no friction, unnecessary friction in, in submission because you realize I could gladly submit to this person because he's looking after me and my family, however that works. And it's the same thing why we submit to Christ. He's not some tyrant that we fear. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And we know how far he went to save us. So it's like this glad, like as you said, joyful, glad submission. And and if you're not having that in your church, maybe that's the wrong place for you. I couldn't say if it's for each individual, but there should be something like that happening. Now, the Bible definitely has these principles that maybe we crave a little greater specificity on what all that means, Mm. but we do, to the extent that we have some of these passages that speak to this, Jesus would say, you know, in terms of leaders in the, 
in the non-Christian world, they mm. lord their authority over yeah. people, and you shouldn't be like that. He was telling his disciples. Mm-hmm. And then we have examples like this, as well as First Peter 5, that talk about the elders of the church shepherding the flock among you, mm-hmm. exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. There's mm-hmm. an aspect of even love and care and tenderness with that shepherding metaphor. So we have these kind of glimpses of what it looked like looks like for us to to have this leadership church body dynamic Mm -hmm. and i I think we need to wisely fill in the gaps with Mm -hmm. the specificity while still being obedient to scripture and and there's a reason that god didn't you know go on for another 15 pages about (laughs) when you do such and such then such and such needs to take place you know that I'm glad the Bible doesn't read like yeah. a like a church handbook. Yeah, that's kind of like how the law worked because there was specificity sure. with the law, but in in our cov- new covenant, there is that you know need to interpret it as necessary, and the Holy Spirit guides us in that. And so we don't want to follow like you know they had some weird regulations back then. But and I don't have a lot of big church experience, so I I, want, I don't mm. want to speak outside of my expertise. Um, but there might be some people who say, well, you know, a, a church of whatever, 400 like ours, that is a big church in the mm. grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so there maybe needs to be a sliding scale in terms of how the elders exercise oversight within the church body and how that submission and and leadership takes place. And so we need a little bit of generosity one to another, depending on the size of our church, the number of elders that we have qualified to serve. and. Mm-hmm. And do our best, all of us, to to obey the scriptures as we can. Yeah. Amen. So in the, in the next passage here, towards the end of the book, we have this wonderful benediction, which is the one that you have been uh, praying and speaking at the end of each service for a while yeah. now. Um, and it's an interesting one to teach on because it's it's a benediction is a blessing, is a prayer. So it's not necessarily something you would could teach, but you did a, a good job of, of explaining and talking about it in the context of your message. Um, and, the, and the main focus of this benediction, which is so interesting, is that God is going to equip us with every good that we may do as well. So, so you know, the rest of it, it, it's not window dressing, but it's kind of like these details that kind of shape that main focus of the prayer. Mm. Um it's, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's hard to like bring up a question like, okay, so why? I mean, it's like it's obvious, you know, this is a big part. I mean, he's even describing the covenant. The gospel's right there. Jesus was raised from the dead, shed blood of the eternal covenant. It's but, a theologically rich prayer. Absolutely. Which I appreciate. There's there's Christological pieces. You're gonna mm-hmm. be lecturing on Christology tomorrow. So yeah. there's some some uh, some ammunition for you there in <laughs> verse 20. Mm-hmm. But I do like the intersection of of kind of God is willing these things in order for us to accomplish them. So mm. there's that whole, we are equipped by God to do what God wants us to do. So yeah. I think that helps um, as we think about maybe the execution of this, because we're empowered, it says clearly through Jesus Christ to mm-hmm. do what what we're called to do, to do God's will, but then also understanding the glory of what we do. So, mm. you know, you know, preach an awesome sermon, may God be praised, mm-hmm. you know. You do an awesome job leading your family, Adam, leading your small group, and, mm. you know, as a deacon here at Verse by Verse, 
may all the praise go to God for that. It's yeah. it's not a time for either of us or any of us to kind of pat ourselves on the back mm-hmm. and say, you know, uh, glory to me for what I've done for mm-hmm. Christ. So that part of it is is really uh, edifying and clarifying too that we need to have that that. Um, theocentric focus as we're mm. we're going about the work of the Lord, and I, and I think it's important to say like we should be working, you mm-hmm. know, we should be equipped to yeah. do God's will, and uh, even kind of, I mean, I want to be careful with this word because some people struggle with this, but agonizing over like, okay, mm. what does it mean to be equipped and to do God's will, and how can I do that, and how can I increase even in, in the way in which I'm serving the Lord and and um, glorifying Him in my daily life. Yeah. Um, it, it is a very comforting passage as well. Um, it, you know, it, it's instructive as well as encouraging because he says, he says God and Jesus Christ equips us. So, like, we don't have to worry about, like, how do I get equipped? What do I do? Well, like, well, we, we come to church and we're equipped and we study and we're mentored and we're, you know, trained in that sense, but it's always God leading us. So we don't have mm-hmm. to feel like we're out there in left field completely without a loss for what to do, you know. And the way he emphasizes it so much, the God of peace who brought again Jesus our Lord mm-hmm. from the dead, the great shepherd. It's like this is not some third-string person equipping us. <laughs> this is the Lord Almighty, the one who brought Jesus from the dead by this blood of the eternal covenant. So it's like it gets better and better the more you read it. So... um it's There's some great callbacks there too to mm-hmm. what he's talked about already in Hebrews with the covenant language yep. and the, the great shepherd imagery and um, the you know if you could distill uh, Hebrews into a single sentence it would probably be something like Jesus is awesome or Jesus mm-hmm. are better or the supremacy of Christ and so yeah. he's worked that even into the final prayer and the benediction mm-hmm. here. That's right. And so with the final passage, um, like many other letters in the New Testament, there's these greetings, and as you've kind of said, it's it's a letter, so it doesn't end necessarily the way we want to imagine it. You know, Paul and John, they all had these little personal greetings, mm-hmm. and here we have him <clears throat> doing this, and I love, like you brought it up, how he says, I've written to you briefly. It's like, this is brief. This <laughs> It took us a year to study this, but it's brief. Um, 45 minutes. I think you could read it through all the way. It's true. It's true. You could, yeah, in a, in a sitting, you could probably read it through, but it could take you, you know, a lifetime to study. Yeah. Um, it's it's a little more brief than some of Paul's greetings. Like at the end of Romans, he just keeps going and talking about Like so many people he has to talk about. Here he only mentions Timothy, who's not even there. Um, but you had mentioned in the sermon that there was almost like a kind of a warning or kind of like, you know. I think so. It's like when your your mom goes to the store, Adam, you know, back in the 80s, right? And she's like, I'll be home at such and such. Mm. And there's that tone in her voice like, this house better be clean by the time mm. I get back. Mm-hmm. Or you guys better not be fighting by the time. I'm giving you a one-hour period yeah. for me to go to the store. Maybe this was just my mom. <laughs> for you guys to get the house in order. So, um, and, and maybe I'm... Uh, seeing a little bit too implicitly what he's doing here instead of explicitly, but there there is that tone throughout the the letter. Mm-hmm. He he's been sharp with them and he's he's being mm-hmm. kind, he's being conscientious at the end, but there's still that that kind of underlined I'm coming. Mm-hmm. So 
get get ready. You know, get your mm-hmm. hospitality engines fired up because I need a place to stay. And also all this silliness that you guys have been mm-hmm. engaged in, some of you who are even forsaking Christ or wanting to go back to uh, the Judaism of old. I better not hear about any of that stuff when I get there. And if I do, I'll have more than just a brief letter to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Am I am I seeing too much in there, or maybe I just had a bad experience with my mom when I was a kid, and I'm just, <laughs> just I'm just projecting, projecting yeah, that yeah. on this author. No, I think I think some of that. Love you, mom. <laughs> I think some of it's implicit. What's interesting though is he's. It's almost like it's assumed they know who who this is. Yeah, and it's such a mystery to us. But he's like, I'm coming, and Timothy's here, and you're like, I need a little more than that. But I mean, it was obviously someone who knew Timothy. Maybe someone who was associated with Paul, but that's all we got. It probably encouraged them, you know, mm-hmm. if this this was an apostle, whoever he was, and he did have the authority to write scripture, and mm-hmm. so it's, you know, this might not be a bad, this might be a bad analogy, but let's just say, you know, when dad gets home mm-hmm. from work, there's... It's just this kind of joy that fills the house, like mm-hmm. a security that returns. Like, mm-hmm. hey, dad's home, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, dad, what about this? And, you know, mm. um, so this is a man who probably helped plant the church. Mm. Timothy must have been involved in some way. So so I don't want to give the impression here that everybody's going to not want this guy to show up. I think they will. Yeah. And there's an excitement about that. There's a preparation for him to come and and it would be great to have a second Hebrews to really see kind of <laughs> what what transpired here mm-hmm. as he did come. Um, it's a reminder, too, that this early church period, you know, they didn't have a completed New Testament mm-hmm. to uh, to rely on like we do. So we're, we're in that period right now where the, uh, the apostolic authority was still very much in play, whether or not Paul was alive at this point or not. John certainly was. Um, and uh, so they're, you know, kind of think about it like, okay, he's bringing the New Testament ideas to us because mm. we don't have a canonized New Testament to preach from. We have the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So all of that we take for granted in our modern world where, you know, I get up um, and let's say 60% of the time I'm preaching from the New Testament, and this mm. is a finished work that we have access to, and so that's what we depend upon for that apostolic authority. Mm-hmm. They, this church, depends upon this author as he comes for that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always good to see that get a little window into the first century church, and it connects us with it, like, these are our people. This is the first generation of believers, maybe second, but this is our people, this is our family, this is what they did, and, and we see the parallels in our lives, and that I think that helps enrich in our faith, and we're part of this great big uh, church. Um, and the the chapter, en- or the book ends with a very common way many of the New Testament letters end with a, you know, a, almost like a mini benediction of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul often opened and ended his letters, grace and peace, or grace be with you all. Mm-hmm. And so that's how this writer, of course, ends it. I saw one commentator this last week talk about the structure of this passage being uh, instruction, benediction, more instruction, another benediction. <laughs> so kind of a A, B, A, A prime, B prime mm. kind of structure. And yeah, you're right. There is that many benediction at the end, verse 25, which is akin to some of the ways that Paul uh, ends his letters. And grace was a big deal. 
mm-hmm. in the New Testament world. It was a big part of the way in which they understood the gospel and the way in which we're saved. It's obviously uh, even going back to the, the Old Testament and to um, Abraham, who was justified by his faith and mm-hmm. God's grace was poured out in his life. So, um, yeah, it's a good way to close, good letter. Mm-hmm. And it's a good reminder, too, in this book that has you know a lot of warnings, a lot of very pointed statements, a lot of uh, you know expectations for there to be perseverance of the saints and long, mm-hmm. long obedience in the same direction. All of this is contingent ultimately upon the grace of God that He He gives us, and we mm-hmm. we're saved by grace, we walk by grace, and we die in grace and go home to glory. Amen. And yeah, it's it's no small feat to work through a book like this through a year. So I want to thank you, Pastor, for doing such a, a mighty job of working through it and even wrestling through those very challenging passages. And I know I could speak for many in, in our fellowship that we've been blessed by it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess that brings this journey to a close. Um, any final thoughts on Hebrews? It's my first time to preach through Hebrews. Uh, from start to finish in a setting like this, it was incredibly edifying. And I did have a statement early on where I said, you won't be the same person at the mm-hmm. end of this series as you are now. And, uh, you know, pastors, they like to have their grandiose statements, and maybe that's one of mine. But I think that would be true for any book of the Bible that we study in depth and work mm-hmm. through, because God's Word does have this transformative power. But I don't know if it's just this book or where the stage of life that I'm in, or maybe the way in which we as a congregation and me as the pastor, the primary preaching elder, have uh, kind of been knit together. But it, it has had a remarkably transformative effect upon mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. And I think you're speaking to the fact that it's had it on others. And hey, let's keep doing it. There's more books of the Bible to preach. That's right. Well, I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening to the series and Kyla, our guy who's done all the hard work recording and editing, making it possible. Um, Everything, of course, is available on our website and we'll see you next time. 